Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to episode 27 of the Believe Next Pod. Captain Miranda joined as always by Stacy Patton. Stacy, we're gonna open the show today with a little Nick trivia. And I want you to answer not with a number, but with the corresponding Nick jersey number. Like the answer is a number, but don't give me the number. Give me a Nick player who wore the number. Okay? How many Nick teams since 1947 have reached the NBA finals? How many Knicks teams? Yep. <laughs> um, three, right? Well, you're going to answer in the form of a Nick uniform number. Oh, you, oh, you mean a player who wore that number? Uh, Marbury. That guess is incorrect. The New York Knicks have made eight finals in their history. They made the finals in 1951, 52, and 53. They made the finals in 70, 72, and 73, and then 94 and 99. So a spree well of finals, if you will, an eight-pack. And the 1951 Knicks, almost a historical team, they were down 3-0 in the finals to the Rochester Royals. One game four, one game five, one game six. Competitive game seven, couldn't quite pull it out. So, shout out to the 1951 New York Knicks for almost making history. In today's episode, we're going to talk about a few things. Um, a draft question, a roster question, um, Basically, a lot of stuff that came up in an excellent Fred Katz mailbag today. Um, before we get started, though, our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, and even next season's futures. Don't forget that Major League Baseball is back as well. Who are you picking to win the World Series? BetOnline is your continued source for all your wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. So where the pod starts, Stacey, is I want to ask you... um. In Fred Katz's mailbag today, he had a, a pretty detailed section about the Knicks last year being a team who played, I think, 44 of their games with five minutes. They were like defined as, as crunch time games, five minutes, game within five points. And that in those um, periods, the Knicks were pretty poor um, on both sides of the ball. A lot of them didn't shoot well. Um, other than Barrett on threes, it was kind of a nightmare. Um, and it made me just start thinking something I had wondered as the season went on, which is that for as much young talent as the Knicks do have, I don't feel like there is a clear cut, like just best player on the team. I think people are excited about Barrett, understandably, and you may hope Randall turns it around, but it makes me think maybe wherever the Knicks pick, 
they should just draft best player available, that they're still not really in a position where they can turn their nose up at the best player because they're not maybe they're not really that set anywhere. Do you feel like the Knicks should be drafting for need or should still be looking for just give me the best that you got? I think for the most part, you know, just from this draft, where they pick, whether they move up or they stay in the same place, um, those are going to be very overlapping things. Um, if you look at, first of all, I am not of the mind that the Knicks' biggest need is quote-unquote true point guard. Mm-hmm. I think you look at how they performed in close games, what helps, right? You look at the playoffs, right? What helps in, in late-game situations? You need someone, and that doesn't mean you ISO, by the way. That doesn't mean you telegraph an ISO with you walk the ball up the floor and that's your only, you know, you post them to is Randall 20 feet from the hoop. But they need someone that can score from three levels and can get a shot. RJ is can get to the rim a lot. He's not a great finisher there, but because rim attempts are so good, it's still an effective shot for him, and he's a capable um, three-point shooter. He's not going to pull ups, and he, right now he doesn't have a mid-range game. It was encouraging to see him attempt some of that, but um, it is what it is right now. Um, quickly showed more ability to get to the rim, but that's still not something he's elite at. Um, I definitely was encouraged by the late season. He has the floater, and he has three-point shooting, but he is small, and I mean, ideally you'd want that player to be a wing, right? And then on the defensive end, especially the Boston series, very illuminating. But like guys who can switch, who are elite help defenders, really those six eight, six nine guys that are just menaces. Herb Jones was that guy for New Orleans. Um, you know, the Knicks. This is part of the reason I think they did acquire Cam Reddish um, because he gives them that kind of. He he actually touches a little bit on both needs, right? Um, he is not right now a guy you want isolating a ton. But he's more polished as a three-level scorer than most of the Knicks' other young guys. Um, he's got a knack for having the body control. He's not a. He's not some. He's not like a crazy. Not Paul George as a vertical athlete. Like he's not going to yam on dudes the same way. Uh, but he can find cracks in the defense, get to the rim, and he's pretty strong. Uh, if there's a knock on his finishing, it's actually that he should probably bully a little bit more. He goes to finesse finishes, which he's good at, but. Um, you know, you'd like him to use his strength more, but he showed three-level score. I was actually pretty encouraged by what I saw from Cam. And on defense, he shows the ability to lock up and really terrorize ball handlers and switches. His problems on defense were more off-ball. He, you know, his um, he loses track of his man. Uh, you know, his screen navigation isn't great. To answer your question, I think they either want a three-level score or a wing. And ideally, they would want both in the same path. And when I say a wing, I mean a freakish wing. Quentin Grimes plays on the wing, but he is still gu- he's a guard-sized guy who can play up. I think they want someone shaped like Cam Reddish. The good news is the best players available at 11 are going to be in that mold. Um, there's Tari Eason, Jeremy Sochan, Dyson Daniels. One of those guys is likely to be available. They all have that. Um, is Matherin you know, projected to be around then or no? I would imagine he'll go eight, but he fits that mold too. Okay. A guy like Shaden Sharp, who's less likely to fall, would also right. fill that mold, especially when you factor in the athleticism. Or there's a guy like Malachi Branham, who is bigger than Grimes, at least from the length standpoint. 
Um, but still, ideally, a t he's a big two guard, and he's like an adequate sized wing, so he's not that freakish length thing. But he gives you three level scoring. Uh, and then, of course, there's a guy like, and then so the real question this comes down to is like, let's say someone like Johnny Davis falls. Right. He's, he's basically the same size as Quentin Grimes, but he does have three level scoring ability. I perceive his three point percentages weren't great, but I think he's more than capable as a as a um, as a catch and shoot guy, and he showed that late game ability. He played in an offense that played at a snail's pace without a lot of talent, um, and he like he he showed the ability to add that to the roster. And it would be interesting to see like you know do they have a guy who it's almost it's a little bit like the Bucks. I think people who say you know Middleton is really their closer go too far. But they do have it a little bit where Middleton adds a different score. Now, obviously, we don't have Giannis, but they do have a little Not bit yet. of this closer. What? Not yet. <laughs> they do have a little bit of this closer by committee um, thing, right? Where Middleton brings a slight. So is Middleton like Kobe Bryant? No, but he gives those skills that allow them some late game flexibility. Mm -hmm. So that would be the, the question is if they had the choice between Johnny Davis, who is a, a shooting guard sized guy, he's got the. Like Grimes, he's strong and has a strong motor on defense, so he can probably play up if he needs to. That's not ideal. He's not a defensive playmaker that way. Uh, but he gives you the three levels. Like That would be the only time where if it's him or like a guy like Jeremy Sochan or um, Tari Eason, who are like these freakish 6'9", 7-foot wingspan guys who can play above the rim, uh, you know, guard 1 through 4, or maybe 1 through 5. That would be the only thing he would come up with. And at that point, I, I think I would say best player available because I trust this Knicks front office talent. Yeah. The only thing is, like, when you talk about a home run swing, that's where it gets a little dicey because the last the only time I can remember the Knicks doing that in recent memory um, was the Knicks clearly needed help everywhere. There was a guy named Michael Bridges who was 6'8", um, 6'9", you know, um, or 6'7", I think, but long arms reliable three-point shooter but wasn't the sexiest pick there was a guy named Shea Gilders Alexander who you know wasn't as ballyhooed as other point guards but um could could get to the rim could pass well um and was a decent shot maker and was a high level defender in college that hasn't obviously panned out there was and so they were there were a few guys and we know who the Knicks picked and that was because they felt like you know he was going to be Paul George and that didn't pan out for Knox. With this front office, if they wanted to take a swing, I would be more on board with that. And the reason is because when you talk about the Knicks' young talent, I think they're shortchanged. But it's tough to see a guy. I, I don't see – I see a bunch of number of guys who could maybe be the second or third best player on a championship team. I don't see a guy who can be like a true top 15 player. Yeah, I think RG and IQ both have the capability to be top twenty-five, top thirty players. Mm. Um, you know, IQ if he takes maybe a big leap, like if he turns into Tony Parker as a finisher or something right. like that, which he sh I wouldn't he didn't show flashes of that, but his finishing got better. Like he was, it wasn't just mm. he got to the rim more. Like he had some creative finishes mm -hmm. at the rim, and he's got the touch to maybe make that work. But barring that, it's tough to see him being. I think I see him more ending up like his ceiling is. The level of impact of a Kyle Lowry, Mike Conley, maybe a CJ McCollum. Not, nothing to sneeze at. Good, but, yeah. uh, but not, I, that's a star, but it's not a superstar. RJ, I think his ceiling is something like Jalen Brown. And even to get there, he needs to take massive strides on defense. 
Um, but you know, but again, like Jalen Brown is right now the second best player on a title team who's playing next to a guy who's doing, who looked like he stole Kevin Durant's talent. Basically, if you told me that in that Boston Brooklyn series, one player is multiple scoring champion and one of the five greatest scorers to live. And the other guy is an up and coming young player. I would have guessed that they were reversed, right? Tatum completely outplayed him. Um, Which we have not had a chance to celebrate yet, by the way. (laughs) We can definitely get into that, but the Knicks are lacking that at the moment. So that's where that, and that's what's appealing about maybe a guy like Malachi Branham. If you do think he has that kind of upside, um, but you, the Knicks would have to have confidence in that. And ultimately, I just I don't think you can go wrong. Like the the kind of wings that are available, where the Knicks going to pick, the length, the defensive ability, the versatility, and and intelligence on on offense. Um, it's just a great draft for that. Um, maybe if it was a great draft for point guards, we'd be talking about that. But um, given that that's the case, that's the direction I would imagine they'd go which I guess falls more on the need side than best player available. But I think in, in reality, I think the best player available for them, I don't think Johnny Davis is going to be there. Uh, I think the best player available for them is going to be a wing. And then it'll depend on whether they value you know, Sochan's defense, Branham's polish as a pick and roll player, or Eason's upside is just like this athletic freak who's long and doesn't have a go-to right now, but is just massively productive so along those lines do you have a feeling about uh, and I'll, I'll add dyson daniels sorry i'm gonna get killed okay. by a lot of people who listen to pot you have dyson daniels is a six eight ball handler um with a, with a nice touch inside the paint and defensive playmaking um maybe he's kyle anderson maybe he's a whole lot more than that mm-hmm. um but one of those guys like is gonna be there and i would imagine they're both best player available and I have felt the last couple of years when the draft came that the Knicks like had to emphasize landing a solid player rather than swinging for a home run. Because I felt like after um, particularly Nilkina and Knox back to back, I was really happy when they got RJ because I felt like he doesn't have the ceiling of Zion or maybe Ja, but I trusted he would be like a solid player. Obi was obviously older player of the year, and it's like a solid player as as quickly as his crimes. I feel a little bit torn in this draft about if the Knicks are picking wherever they're picking, one through four or 11 through 14. Um, and it's their turn, and there's a player who is a gamble, but if he hits, like, oh man. And there's another player who is not going to be all NBA, but you're pretty confident that they can be like a solid starter. I'm starting to feel like I'm tilting back toward swing for the home run because the roster is made up of, it's like a pitching staff with a bunch of number three starters. Like it's nice to have that quality. And I feel like that came up a lot last year that when you or I, or even in the national media, when people talked about the Knicks and it was hard to sometimes for me to comprehend this, given how disappointing the season was, but it was true. It was a very deep team, not a great team. But, like, this was a legit NBA roster, one through 11, something like that. Do you have a vibe to yourself about go for the home run or just get another player because you just need stability? Yeah, I am. 
I think that they're going to lean towards the home run aspect, but I also I don't. This is not a front office that I hate to keep picking on Knox, but I'm going to say it. This is not a front yeah. office that's going to. So by the way, the Nilakina pick I do think was just a high floor pick, um, more than a ceiling pick, because they thought Phil Jackson was going to be here. Uh, I think that really affected Nilakina. Knox was straight up a home run pick, um, which made less sense given that. Michael Porter Jr. probably would have been the better upside pick if they really wanted to go that route. But that's ancient history. With Toppin, it's interesting because I think he also was the upside guy. Uh, because if you look at the guys that went next to him, Denny Avdia was younger. But, you know, he was more of a polished guy, wasn't seen as a freak athlete. He was a really good passer, but wasn't going to play on ball. Jalen Smith was kind of a, 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 a pick for need from Phoenix. You know, they wanted to stretch four, I think, next to Aiton. Vassell was like high floor defensive yeah. guy in the mold of a guy like Bridges. Halliburton, people were questioning the athleticism, but I don't think that was the upside swing. Like, I mean, the, the real upside play ended up being like Cole Anthony, you could argue, which they didn't go with, or Alexei Pokusevsky. But with yeah. Obi's athleticism and what he had shown an improvement, I can see that. So I, I don't think this is a staff that's necessarily been averse to upside. Uh, I think even quickly was a bit of a home run swing, right? Because there were guys who had played point guard in college and they were betting that he would be more than just a a shooter off the bench with length, right? They were betting that he could turn into something like this. Um, but I think what they do is, I think they look for a combination of like, we can see them fitting even with just who they are now. But there's a, like every pick I think fits into this, right? With Obi, you can see at worst, he's a guy that can be a lob threat run the floor hard, get easy buckets, and maybe hit an open three. Uh, but the upside would be, well, if the handle improves, right? There's been a lot of people talking about him as more of a creator. Quickly, I just talked about, right? Last year's draft, Grimes is an elite shooter, an elite shooter who plays hard on defense. That's a pretty high floor. But he also came into college as, a, um, as an on-ball player. That was... You know, he was supposed to be, he, he was a point, he was a combo guard. And it didn't work out, and he reinvented his game, but he's shown flashes of those skills. Deuce, I think, is, is also, like, at the floor. It's a second round, by the way. So, and you have to, they really only had one lottery pick. So all of these picks are going to be, you're sacrificing on something. So with Deuce, if you can get a guy like Deuce as just a reserve backup guard who's high-level defense and can hit open threes, that would have been enough. But... They might have said there's upside to maybe being a lead guard because of the skills he's shown. Uh, and then Jokubaitis is just a, a um, you know kind of a draft and stash. And then Sims I think was a pure upside play right because he was extremely raw as a defender. You know he 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 had a lot of ability, but it hadn't been put together into consistent winning basketball. And I mean I think that's credit to how well he's developed. Point being, I think that they look for a combination of both. Um, and in this draft, that's what they're going to find. Again, if we look at just the pure upside swings, there's two names that come to mind that the Knicks might look at. Those are Usman Dieng and um, Nikola Jovic. Uh, very close name to NBA MVP. Am I, are, you as, are you as excited as I am when I found out that Jovic plays the same position that Yo- as Jokic that next year at some point? Nikola Jovic will go up against Nikola Jokic. <laughs> well, he doesn't play the same position. Isn't he a four, isn't he like six ten? Isn't he like a big? He's six ten, and about um, two. He is built like 
He is six foot ten and two hundred nine pounds. Oh, so it's like a Marcus Nikola Jokic Cambridge. is one of those things. Okay. Very much not the other. <laughs> so if he's guarding, if he's guarding Nikola Jokic, then something went wrong. But they're both they're both six ten guys who can handle the ball well and pass, and who everything else is very much you have to project. Uh, Jovic has shown the ability to pull up from three. He's a creative passer. I have seen really optimistic people compare him to Luca. I'm not going to go that far. Wow. But I think he's a like I think I see him more as a Bogdanovic type um, Hawks, a guy who can pull up, create his own shot, intelligent passer. Like against bench units, can probably run, play more on ball, and run your offense through him a little bit. Uh, that's a useful player. Yeah. And then Usman Dieng is six nine, six ten. He's very young. Both are very young. Um, you know, Prez has talked about this. His he has a he isn't viewed as a great defender, but Prez was pretty high on his defense. He's in college ball or he played in Europe. Yeah. Europe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at six ten, his his efficiency is rough, very rough. But he shows he's got you know like there's the highlights of him like going behind the back in transition, you know, being able to create and move at that size. Um, when he does pull up and make it, you know. Those things like there's a they're both projects, and the upside of a project for the Knicks is that, um, you know, it is going to be tough to find minutes for all these guys. So, if you can, um, but I think they would have to talk themselves into Diang or some one of them being maybe not Giannis, but like that kind of a player because the, the reality is some of the higher floor guys also have pretty high ceilings. A guy like Tari Eason at least is going to be an energy guy, maybe ends up being Marquise Chris. But even Marquise Chris has found a role, right? And he's, I mean, he was one of the highest impact players in college basketball. So I I, I could see Dianger Jovic would be the two guys that come to mind as like just pure home run swings. And I'll add a third who I think other people on draft Twitter would say is a home run swing that I just don't see as much. It's Jaden Hardy. Um, he's a 6'4", you know, terrific ball handler, um, he can create. He can create space very easily. His percentages weren't great, but you watch him take pull ups and create space for them. He looks like a natural scorer. Mm. Um, he's not a great athlete, but I think his ability to get to the rim is a little bit underrated. So that's again, if they buy him as that three level scoring type, you know, and he really develops in that way, maybe that is an all star one day. Uh, I personally see him more as being a sixth man scorer. Um, he's not a great passer, and he doesn't add value on defense. So. Um, like you're really betting on a high end outcome for him on offense if you believe he's gonna be like a starting lead guard. Um so I think those are all possibilities. But I think like like I said, Dyson Daniels has a high floor as a connector, you know, in that Halliburton mold, who can also add value on defense and you know, do things in the paint and his shot isn't broken. That's the big difference with him and Halliburton. But he's not a good shooter right now, but you know, he's a guy that had a group spurt from 6'4 to 6'8 and plays guard. So there's always upside there. Ease and I talked about great athleticism, ball handling at 6'9, freakish length, huge events generator on defense. Um, and without having a ton of polish to his game, just was a really effective scorer. So Chan is super young, but he showed like, you know, he's not a good shooter right now, but he showed the ability to, he had some nice moves in the mid range. He's an excellent passer and a smart player, and he's long and versatile. Those ads have upside too. And I think those guys all to some extent qualify as a home run swing too. But if they wanted, if they were like, we want an on ball scorer three levels, 
and they felt like Branham, because of the lack of athleticism size, was not that, I could see them maybe taking a swing on Deandriovich and stashing them for a year or two. And then, you know, and then at that point, the other part we haven't discussed is at what point, if they make this pick, does it become more about getting a useful asset than, um, you know, than having to add to what you already have? Do you enjoy studying young players for the draft more than you enjoy, like, studying the team in the season or, like, watching the team in the season? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. Um, I think I enjoy the draft. One, I got into the draft more because as a Knicks fan, that is what we do. You had no choice. You were born into yeah. this darkness. <laughs> but I think that especially following draft, draft Twitter and people way smarter than me, it, it helps you kind of understand what are the things. It, it's a it's kind of a way you focus on one player and it helps you understand more about the game as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um both from the standpoint of like shooting, like, you know, just skill development for an individual and how they're trying to fit in. Um, and, and I mean, I think it's, it's an interesting case, but, um, you know, would I rather analyze the Knicks from a team building perspective or one individual prospect? It's the former for sure. Or would I rather just watch the Knicks play? Yeah. I mean, that's my favorite part of the season. Speaking of the Knicks, um, I want to touch on a little Stan Van Gundy, um, Nick intersection on Twitter a few days ago. Um, Stan was defending, um, Tom Thibodeau, as he has been known. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. I think he started out talking about Brett Brown, but Nick he fans in general came. defending coaches, right? Yeah, Thibodeau's name came up. Um, Van Gundy defended Thibodeau. Um, someone said that Thibodeau had mismanaged the talent, and then Van Gundy said, "You know, you think the Knicks are a talented team by NBA standards, really?" And Johnny John John eighty three said. So SVG, you're saying RJ, OB, IQ, Randall, Rose, Mitch Grimes are not talented by NBA standards? Interesting take. To which Van Gundy replied, compared to who, all NBA players are talented. You have to judge compared to other NBA teams and know by NBA standards that is not a very talented roster. I'm not going to argue Stan Van Gundy's um, opinion about the Nick roster. One, because I think he knows a lot more about basketball than I do. And two, because the Knicks just went 37 and 45, so I'm not going to pretend anything about how talented the roster is at this moment in time. But it sparked a question for me that I wonder like, what your thought about would be, which is I think the Knicks have done a really good job under this current regime, the Leon Rose um, regime, of like Mills and Perry, I was very happy for a while because – they just didn't do anything blatantly stupid. And the bar had been set, I thought, very low. And I just didn't want anything blatantly stupid. And they were not stupid. This administration, I think, has done more than that to their credit. And I think one of the things they've done really well is that every single year, come draft time, the Knicks land usually multiple positive players who can contribute. Um if you remember at the end of the Mills regime, especially the Knicks were signing, which I also thought was a good strategy. But they were signing a million failed lottery picks from other teams and trying to resurrect them here with Burke or Moutier or Hazonia or Vonley or all kinds of players, and none of whom really panned out. So I like what the new regime is doing. But my question is, do you think that the Knicks have a good young core by Knicks standards, meaning we're so not used to seeing it 
that in the context of their history, this is really good. But if it were the Spurs or if it were the, I don't know, some other team, it wouldn't be that exciting? Or do you think, by NBA standards, it's a young core worth being excited about? Yeah, I think by NBA standards, I think it's even for a team like the Spurs, I think the depth is really, I mean, you have, um, I mean, if you look at, you look quickly, RJ, Obi, Sims, Grimes, um, have and Reddish have all proven themselves in pretty important NBA minutes. Uh, Reddish had last year's playoffs. When he's been healthy, he's got rotation minutes in Atlanta and New York. Um, I would personally add McBride there, especially when you look at his impact stats. Uh, I didn't even mention Mitch because his contract is about to be up, but he should be in there. And then you have one of the best, pro- probably the best prospect in Europe right now, right? Well, I mean, that's already been drafted. I guess like Victor Wembanyama is a different story, but yeah. um, you know, it's that is eight or nine guys who look like contributors. Um, most of them who have already shown to be contributors. Um, and then the ones that maybe have been less, you know, a guy like Cam has not been quite as much of a positive as quickly or RJ in terms of impact, he's got a higher upside, at least than quickly. I think there's people, I, I don't necessarily think he has a higher upside than RJ, but there's things he does that no one else can. Um, so I think that's exciting. Like the, most teams don't have that. Most teams consolidate. I think it's a little bit more like the Lakers core before the Anthony Davis trade. I still don't know if I would put RJ as high as Brennan Ingram was there, but even Ingram hadn't truly emerged before going to New Orleans, right? He, he looked like a very talented guy, number two overall pick, but it was really his first year in New Orleans where he showed himself to be a max player. That hasn't happened yet with RJ. Um, so I would, I would liken it to that. The problem is, um, you know, they, they're, like, I think that when Stan Van Gundy says something like that, he's not really, I think that I would imagine most national commentators, they're going to go by what is your star power at the top. And that is where the Knicks are lacking. Julius Randle isn't that guy. And they have young guys who aren't Anthony Edwards types, right? And so they're not really going to value the Knicks' depth. Um, do I think that's unfair? Yeah, I think that if you watch the team play, they have several lineups of guys who are more effective than what was immediately played. And I, I just think, well, they didn't have talent is a very lazy excuse because who was the talent they had? How was that deployed? Is still a very pertinent question. Um, but to answer, so, so I think that I would imagine just Stan Van Gundy isn't spending a ton of time watching the Knicks, and that's okay. Um, and his larger point would be, look, Maybe that maybe Tibbs could have made the play in, but you know he didn't have the upper echelon talent you need to be a contender, which I would agree with. Uh, and I think I, he didn't. I don't think he was really trying to. He probably isn't that familiar with the next young talent. Um, but they haven't. They don't have a guy like Anthony Edwards or Luca or Lamelo Ball who has shown themselves to be like a number one option consistently, and that's fine. I mean, that's that's um, that doesn't mean the core isn't exciting. They still need that guy. Um, but even without it, does it let Tibbs off the hook? No. Um, I think that there were a few more wins that they could have had. Um, I think that the lineups they played were pretty clearly suboptimal. Um, I think when someone like Van Gundy, you know, go like his brother did say that Tibbs could have played better lineups. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and when you just say, like, it just it seems extremely reductive where they don't have championship-level talent. I would say they have average talent for an NBA team. I mean, there are there are less talented teams that have a, a better number one option. But depth does matter, you know? Uh, the Nets have the top two players in the series, by most people's estimation, and we saw what happened to them. Um, they had two of the top ten players in basketball. At one point, they had three. Three of the top, or 15, whatever. And they struggled this season, right? Um, I'd be curious to see if you thought they were under-talented or Steve Nash. God forbid we actually criticize a coach, right? Um, so I think that if you look at the depth, like they did not have a high-end star, but they had you know, 10, 12 solid rotation guys who were just not necessarily put in their best positions. And um, I think he's wrong in saying that that just because they didn't have a superstar, which I would imagine is implying, because you can't really... It's, We've seen Knicks teams that lack talent, right? We've seen Knicks teams that God, were yes. giving 35 minutes to Bobby Portis, Wayne Ellington. Lance We've Thomas. seen worse than that, actually. We've seen Point Point Hazonia, right? Um, <laughs> so we, this is not this is a talented team in terms of depth. They have 10, 12 rotation guys. Like all could be rotation players on most NBA teams. Right. They don't have a number one star, and they compounded that by playing some of the guys who fit not as well together, um, particularly on defense, and playing some of the guys who were more effective, fewer minutes, and not playing them, you know, in, in, they're not mixing it up as much, right? So There was a superstar um, who was talked about a bit today in relation to the Knicks um, by two different writers at The Athletic, Fred Katz and John Hollinger, both wrote about now that the Jazz have been eliminated after you know, disappointing season number, I guess, five. Um, the suspicion is that the Utah is going to make big moves. Um, and since Donovan Mitchell is I think, five years younger than Rudy Gobert, that Gobert might be the one who goes. Katz um, made a very, I thought, reasonable case that it doesn't really make sense for the Knicks to have um, an interest in Gobert because... Katz's general feeling was like, Gobert, you only have room for so many max deals. And if you bring in Gobert as the first one, like, it's kind of awkward to try to then shape the rock. Like, Gobert and, and RJ may not work well together. You know, Gobert and Randall may not work well together if Randall shoots the way that he did last year. Um, Hollinger, but like, it's been years since the Knicks have been after any kind of a star. So, I'm interested at least in theorizing about it. And Hollinger listed a series of proposals um, for five teams who he thought were reasonable Gobert destinations, one of which was the Knicks. Um, and Hollinger's uh, contention was that the Knicks would have to, to make the money work and the asset appeal to Utah, you would basically would have to trade <coughs> Nerlens Noel, Cam Reddish, and who was the third one? Uh, oh, Evan Fournier. Um, that basically gets your salaries to match. And then it sounded like Hollinger thought the Knicks would have to trade their first-round pick this year, a couple other first-round picks. Uh, it's weird to say, but I because he would fulfill a lot of things that this team does not have, and it would be just interesting to watch Rudy Gobert play 80 games a year. Like, I would enjoy on an academic basis, just watching his whole, his whole game and learning about him. But 
Um, this feels like not the superstar that the Knicks should be trading half a dozen assets for, in my opinion. Yeah, it's um, you know, when you put that, you know, the nice thing would be you keep RJ, you keep quickly, you keep Grimes, even right. Um, yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people love Cam Reddish. Um, I think he has great upside, but um, you know, if he has to become the kind of player that Rudy Gobert is, that would be a high end outcome for any player. I mean, Rudy Gobert is, we know what he is, right? He is. So he's a Hall uh, of Fame. He's a Hall of Fame player. Um, perennial defensive player of the year candidate, depending on who you ask at this point, he might just not win it because of fatigue. Yeah. Uh, I don't actually buy the stuff that he gets played off the floor in the playoffs that much. Um, he would set an screen. The Knicks would go from no one setting the screen in like six years to getting an elite screen setter. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that it's interesting because I would imagine the Knicks would probably trade Mitchell Robinson. In that case, I would imagine Utah would want him. Um, you could probably get him for $12 million, retain a lot of their defensive identity. Um, and also, ideally, that would limit some of the draft compensation the Knicks would have to give back. So not sure why Hollinger didn't mention that. Uh, the problem is he's going to, he is a 7-foot-1 player who has been reasonably durable. I'm trying to look at his games played the last few years. Um, but yes, I mean, he is, he has never, he hasn't played less than 60 games the last four seasons. The year before that, it was 56 for a big, that's pretty good durability. Um, but he's 29. Um, he is not the craziest athlete. You do have to wonder though, about a player like that. Once the mobility starts to go, even a small reduction, how much is the, is the margin of error? Um, I think he's a, I think he's the best version of Rudy Gobert has been much better than the best version of DeAndre Jordan ever was. I don't want to make that comp directly. But it's worth noting that Jordan did. Jordan is still only 33, and for the last three to four years, he's been a shell of what he was. Um, do you want to be paying Rudy Gobert? And, and the contract, I mean, Rudy Gobert will be making $46 million a year when he's 33. The cap is going to increase. Um but I, I just, unless you feel like, like if he went to Dallas, I would love that. I think that's a great team. I don't know if Hollinger yeah, mentioned him. He did. Yeah. He did talk about that. That's the perfect fit, right? A team that already has someone, a star that's locked up, pair him with him, right? Um, I also weirdly think Minnesota is interesting, like especially if they're going to bet on Anthony Edwards um, mm. to continue to improve. Hmm. Um, you move Cat, maybe you feel like you want a rim protector, defensive presence there. Utah, like, and you, I mean, Cat for Grobear, if anything, Utah might have to throw in a pick. They probably would. Yeah. Uh, so, but for the Knicks, uh, you'd have to be betting that RJ or IQ, one of those guys, is going to emerge. Or you have another way to pair Rudy with some of that. Because I think he is going to decline. If it was if it was sub thirty million dollars, if he was making closer to Randall money, and yeah. not to say that he's the same player as you as Randall, that'd be easier. And it's tough because I, I Rudy Gobert is worth that amount of money right now. I actually believe that. I think a lot of right people now, disagree. Um, but it's hey, man, it's forty six when he's thirty three as a seven foot one rim protect. Like, 
And DeAndre, guys who are not. Johnny Jordan was an elite athlete a couple of years. Like, maybe not a couple of years ago, but, like, he was – Gobert was never an elite athlete. He's large. And he, he has athleticism. But, like, DeAndre Jordan was, like, I thought a, a top – like a 10-level athlete. But Go- Gobert does have the mobility. It does. And so that's the question, right? The, the I think the, the counter, which I don't know if this is the point you were making, but the counter would be, well, Gobert doesn't really rely on being a crazy athlete, so he should age well. And I think he will age. I don't think he'll age well enough to be worth $46 million, but he will probably age well enough to be a rim protector of interest. You know, it, He'd age probably better than a guy like Dwight. Um, or in that, you know, Dwight, I think, has been valuable. But if you don't want to say Dwight, He'll be a solid veteran, but he's not getting that money after after 33. So the, the counter would be he's a guy that doesn't rely on hyper-athleticism. So does that, you know, how much does that... The counter I would have is, like, he does rely on mobility. So if that mobility diminishes by 5%, yeah, like, I don't think he's unplayable now, but that could be the tipping point uh, in the playoffs, I mean. And then, yeah, I mean... I really, I, I think it works much better if you're like, we want to take a title shot in the next two years. We have Luka Doncic, or we have maybe Donovan Mitchell. We have maybe Damian Lillard. I think that's an interesting fit. I don't know if Hollinger mentioned Portland, but uh, I could see them being interested. Um, you know, Phoenix, if they have to move on from Aiden, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but um, other than that, I don't see people investing... I think if Gobert was 25, it would be different. But I don't see teams wanting to invest that. So the question would be, I think Hollinger's rationale from the excerpt I saw on the Knicks was, um, you know, he's a star player and the Knicks are involved in stars. And it's like, well, maybe, but, yeah, um, you know, um, I think the, the Knicks have been in limbo because they could have traded for a guy like DeRozan, but what next? And Chicago is in a little bit of that situation too, right? Because of the assets they gave up and the contract situations, they are kind of, this is who they are. Um, they have to pay Levine this year. Yeah, the if Knicks, they, if they had paired... leaves, that whole DeRozan move takes on a slightly different... Yeah, and, and I still think it was worth it for them, especially if Pat Williams blows up. But right. that's the thing. The Knicks, once <clears throat> like that first star is really important. Because it either needs to be someone who can draw the the true star, right? If you get Kyrie Irving as your main star, he might not be the ideal one. But if you say he's bringing Kevin Durant, that's worth it, or maybe not. But different, different question, different story. Paul George Kawhi is a good example of that. Exactly right. Um. So, and by the way, Paul George has made a case for himself in that own right when he's been healthy too. Um. But at the time, that's what it was, right? Yeah. The Knicks don't have that, and so they're they're in limbo, and that's why fans are getting frustrated. I can see Donovan Mitchell being that guy. Um, I don't even I'm not even saying that he's more valuable to Utah than Rudy Gobert is right now, but he's 25, um, and he gives you like a version of Donovan Mitchell as a shot creator and like Mitchell Robinson. I would take over Rudy Gobert, and then you know having to even a very good two guard, even a guy like Jalen Brunson. Um, or someone like that. Um, now, maybe if they know that Zach Levine is coming and they can clear it out, maybe they go all in, all in on Zach Levine and Rudy Gobert surrounded by the Knicks kids playing tough defense. Be, It'd be fun. That would be interesting. Uh, but I think this is a this is a front office that they're going to make a big move eventually. But I think that 
if they were if you make a move for Rudy Gobert, it's you have a shot at winning the title in the next two years. And I don't see the Knicks being that. So was KD Kyrie the last time the Knicks were like in on a star? Um I think it depends on your definition of star. So last offseason last offseason there wasn't really anyone. Yeah. Um there, there was like Schroeder. No one was really talking about DeRozan. A lot of people wanted Lonzo. I wouldn't consider him a star. Yeah. Um, the year before, I think they were in on someone, though, right? Off season of twenty was weird because that was the that was that short. Um, I think COVID off season wasn't it? Yeah. Season... So they got Pollock, Bobby Portis, and shit. Yeah. No, no, that was the year before that. Was it okay? Yeah, so the Bobby Portis year was the Randall year. So that right. was when they pivoted to Randall. Oh, that was 19. Okay. So 20 was Bullock and... Burks. Um, and, um, I mean, they re-signed Elf. Yes. Um, yeah, late. Yeah, late they signed Elf. That's right. But I do think there was, like, a free agent. So going down the list, Ingram, Ingram was a restricted free agent, but... Right. Um, New Orleans immediately. I think. Th- I think the Knicks. Okay, so Gordon Hayward was the guy the Knicks were rumored to be interested in. Hayward talk. Yeah, and then I think. Well, I think there was. It was pretty substantial, and then Charlotte went to one twenty. Right. Um, Fred Van Vliet was a guy a lot of Knicks fans wanted, but didn't really pan out. Um, and then there was like, yeah, that was the offseason. There was like Gallinari, right. um, Bogdanovich, and all of that. So, in terms of a true star, not really. Hayward is probably the closest thing. I feel kind of like withdrawal from not being able to, like to not even have, which I think is a credit to the organization, but to not even have a star in mind for like a year or two from now has become like a long, strange feeling. After so many years of like knowing, you know, when LeBron was up and Durant was up and Giannis was up, like to suddenly like, I don't see that on the horizon like anywhere. It's a little it's a little weird. It's a little different than it used to be. Uh yeah, but I mean I think I think but the the other flaw side of it is like it's tough. It's bittersweet because we have all the young guys, but they're not all gonna be here, be here, you know. That's why it would have been fun to see this year when the Knicks weren't doing much, to see all of them get to play a little bit more. Um, I think that's what a lot of people are hoping next year is like, can we see and maybe boost their value and then see who's a keeper, see who's a nice player who we can turn into, turn that additional, you know, if Deuce and IQ are both good, you trade one of them. Um, you know, I, I just, um, I wish that had been this year. It looks like that might end up being next year, but, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't miss the days of pining for a free agent. Um, I like having exciting players film. I like to go back and watch, you know, so. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not in a bad place with the Knicks, even though this season was a disappointment in terms of wins and losses. Um, that wasn't really the metric I cared the most about. And particularly contrasted with other points where, you know, the rest of the league is in the playoffs and you're staring at a draft where the Knicks don't have a pick. Or, yeah, that's been a nice you know, change at the least, right? Like, yeah, or they're, they're capped out and, like, can't, or they, or they have three bad contracts. Like, they don't have a bad contract. Um, they have a number of, 
it literally used to be it used to be a big deal when they had like Gallinari and Chandler and Fields and had like three young players who you could like like there's like eight of them now um I'm not in a down place with this team at all um no it's it I think it's it's like I said it's at limbo right yeah we have a lot of like you talked about should we be excited about this next young core I think the thing that's the for me at least I think there's fans that are just like nah they're overrated and we need a star and that's that I think it's more for me than not I think they could they're a fun team to play together but they don't have the championship ceiling and eventually they're going to get paid and then the shine kind of wears off right once they get paid so I know not all of them they're going to be here and I don't know what this team is going to look like and it's kind of that that limbo that uncertainty uh, like I'd love to buy a quickly jersey. I'd love to buy it. I can't buy but, a jersey of any Nick. <laughs> yeah, because you don't. And that's not a. Like, by the way, that's. I mean, I'm not even. This isn't some rant against you know the star laden culture of the NBA. Um, it's like the the other side of having a good young core is that you can't count on them being here because they're a good young core. Uh, you know, like it was like uh, with Frank Nilakina and Kevin Knox. It wasn't like man, we're going to trade them for a star. It was kind of like yeah, yeah. I hope we can get them good enough to. Uh, and I, I, by the way, I that I, I do think Frank is on a different level of value than Knox, but yeah, like th- like those are those would be by far the worst prospects on the Knicks right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, by a even even Fra- I mean, I'm not taking Frank over Deuce at this point. No. Um, Forget as a prospect, as a player right now, I wouldn't take Frank over Deuce. And like, yeah. that's definitely not the other guys. So um, I think more with the young guys, yeah, like I said, it's that feeling of limbo. Like, it's just, you know, you feel like you're in kind of an in-between place. You're waiting. And yeah, so. I'm going to close today with a little bit of once a Nick, always a Nick playoff vibes. Most of the teams that are left feature an ex-Nick on them. I want to see if Stacy can identify the ex-Nick on that team and then based on your feelings about those ex-Nicks who would you be rooting for? So for example Boston is facing Milwaukee both teams feature former Knicks um, can you name the former Nick or Knicks on the Milwaukee Bucks? Stacy? Uh, Bobby, right? Bob Portis. Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis is the technically he never played for the Knicks, but Luca Valdosa did sign uh, recently. That's right. Yeah. But yes, I saw right. someone on Twitter lamenting that. I was like, I <laughs> we all have way too much shit. Time Which is not a knock on Luca Valdosa, but if there's one thing the Knicks don't need, it's another six-three pull-up yeah. shooter combo card. Like, yeah, they're yeah. fine on that account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Luca was like a three and D center, I'd be bugging, but that's not the case. So yeah, we got Bobby Portis on the Bucks. Can you name the ex former Nick on the Boston Celtics? This is not an easy one. Um, Amos I'm Freedom struggling. was on the Celtics this year, but of course is was banished to Houston. I tried um, to forget the fact that he was on the Knicks. <laughs> and, um, uh, or that his name is Enos Freedom. I hate having to say that. I, I usually am like so happy to call anybody by whatever they want to be known as, but like I can't stand that his name is actually Enos Freedom. Yeah, it's I mean it's everything that it represents. <laughs> um 
Okay, I wasn't going to get it. I looked it up. Uh, right? This is surprising. I had no idea he was there. But Luke I liked Cornette. him. It's good old Luke Cornette, whose mother was always a very sweet um, follower on Posting and Toasting when Cornette was there. So shout out to Mama Cornette. I totally forgot Cornette was there, too. I had to look it up. I thought Theo Pinson was a Celtic, but apparently not. Um, so Bobby Portis versus Luke Cornette. Who you got? Um, just based on that? Just based on that. Because I think based on other things, it's Giannis against <laughs> a team that I've rooted for with many misgivings in the first round. Uh, no, I liked Bobby Portis. Um, I thought he played hard on the Knicks. He was miscast. Um, he ISOed a little bit too much in the post for my liking. But, I mean, I think he, he was... A, I like Bobby Portis. I, I like the growth he showed last year. He was pretty... In- instrumental depending on your use of the term like he had some some big possessions on defense they've really found a good role for him yeah portis well bobby portis okay uh in your other eastern series which is philadelphia against miami i'm double checking i just realized this might be a very silly game if i can't find more nicks on these teams um i thought first of the bucks and the celtics and now i just realized there may not be a nick how did you know Cornette played for the I saw him. Um, I have just a weird affection for Luke Cornett. So when I saw any time a Nick that I liked becomes like a Celtic, it like burns into my brain. So I just remember a game where I saw Cornett, and like I still like Luke Cornett, but it was like seeing him like like held hostage, like trapped or something. So it just burned into my head. Particularly, all right. The Celt- sorry, the Sixers do not have an X Nick, so they don't help with the game at all. And I feel like the Heat. May not either. Uh, yeah, my game is going to complete shit. So no, forget Philly. So no Philly, no Sixers uh, in the West. Yeah, the Philly has an ex Kentucky Wildcat, so I'm going to go with at least one. They have an ex quickly teammate, so I'm rooting for Philly. Oh, for Maxi. Although that, I don't know if you saw the news, but uh, Embiid is out um, with no timetable. So is he his thumb? Yeah. No, his um, he was playing the thumb, but he had uh, he got elbowed by Siakam, I think, in the last game, oh. and um, he has an orbital fracture, and I think they said a mild concussion. So, oh my god! Yeah, did you see the uh, play where he got hit? I did not see that. No, but I do know that Raptors fans are taking some shit because they were very frustrated and they were like, they "Serves him right," and now yeah. they're like assholes. So. Which is weird because Raptor Twitter is easily my favorite other Twitter. Like they're they're very funny and like general. I mean, if you can characterize a group of people as if they're a monolith, but like they've always been my favorite, um, like opposing team Twitter. But Embiid, like they were frightening to watch. Like turn on Embiid the way that they did in the series. Um, yeah, I mean, he can be annoying. Like he does flop a little bit. Uh, but he also gets hacked a ton. He does. You know? yeah, he does. Uh, I, I've I've never disliked Joel Embiid personally. Oh, I always cool. hated Simmons on those teams. Yep. Um, uh, and uh, I I never really disliked Joel Embiid. Um, so, and I have found like, I mean, there's 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 ballot elements in every fan base. So mm-hmm. that sucks. I did not know that. Um, I hope he somehow. I hope he gets healthy. Um, I love watching him play, so I wish that he were there. 
but I hope that he just um I still remember when there was a Bill Simmons article and it was like the three unicorns, Embiid, Giannis, and KP. Which one's gonna be the best? I remember that. I remember now that. one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Giannis Embiid or Spencer Dinwiddie. Who will <laughs> Uh, so in the West, unfortunately, Golden State and Memphis, I don't think can help us. But the Phoenix-Dallas series, which I think could be a very interesting series, features an inordinate number of former Knicks, almost as many as the Knicks themselves. Phoenix, of course, featuring Tom Thibodeau's beloved Alfred Payton. Um, just double-checking. They don't have anyone else. It's, it's Alfred Payton. The Dallas Mavericks, of course. Don't they have Morris? It does not appear so. No, he's still yeah. They they have a Morris twin though, don't they? No, no, Markeith is not there anymore. Um, Marcus yeah. is on the Clippers, and Markeith right. is on the the Heat. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Dallas features a buffet of former Knicks. Uh, there is Reggie Bullock, Frank Nalakina, Tim Hardaway Jr. Trey Burke, Theo Pinson found his way to Dallas, um, and potentially future Nick Jalen Brunson. So I assume you probably are not rooting for Alfred Payton, and that there is probably <laughs> at least one Maverick Nick that you like. I mean, I like all the Maverick Nicks. Um, I think favorite, that... your favorite, give me them in order, four to one. Uh, this is not necessarily based on their contributions to the Knicks. Yeah, just whatever your vibe is. But Trey Burke is the greatest player I've seen play since I was a Michigan fan. And <laughs> brought us to the title. Even greater than National Tim Hardaway Player of the Jr. Year. He was on the same team as Tim Hardaway Jr. Mm-hmm. And it was very clear. There's a reason why one went ninth and the other one went 24th, despite yeah. the 24th one being six foot six. Um, number two, I actually will say Frank over Tim Hardaway Jr. Hmm. Um, I really liked Frank. He made it through some tough teams, always had a positive attitude, still seems to be friends with most of the guys in the Knicks. Um, I'll put Tim Hardaway Jr. Third, um, a similar thing. Uh, I think like because of the contract and because of kind of the expectations and some of his defense, he got a lot of criticism while the Knicks, but he, you know, he was an exciting scorer. I've seen him at the garden put up, I think I saw him put up 30 once against the wizards and Beal in the first half. Mm. Um, you know, he, I, I, and yeah, like, you know, he's a fun player to watch in college. And then Bullock is number four. Uh, you know, it's, he's a really easy guy to root for hard worker, um, you know, had a really almost a career season. And then with the Knicks shooting the three, I think people saying that our defense tanked because we didn't have Reggie Bullock and Alfred Payton are, to put it lightly, wildly overstating things. Um, I mean, I think the fact that Noel was hurt and Mitch was out of shape had a much bigger impact. Um, and then, um, and then who's left? Theo Pinson. Oh, Pinson. Pinson, I gotta put you fifth, my man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shout out Theo Pinson, the bench MVP. Yeah. But uh, yeah, tough. You got two. You're competing against two Wolverines, and the best looking Knicks draft pick ever. So tough competition. <laughs> I will say that um, I loved watching Trey Burke play because, particularly, there was a period where he, he was letting his hair out, and he's about the same size as Iverson, 
and yeah. he's not Iverson, but like just watching him's game, um, just in terms of aesthetic beauty, like I loved watching Trey. Well, that was like that second half of the season where we picked him up, right? And he was hitting, uh, an, he was hitting an unsustainable, unsustainable number of mid-range jumpers were crazy. His mid-range was like ridiculous, and threes. He was like, because, and I, I'll always remember this because he's my, fa- he's my, my fiance's favorite player ever is Trey Burke. Um, I got her a Trey Burke jersey. She, anytime there's a game on and Trey Burke is there, like she is hooked. And so Trey Burke just stands out of my head for like a lot of reasons, but he was really fun just to watch play like aesthetically. Um, and I mean, he was, I mean, compared to guys like Moutier, Jarrett Jack, he was good. For he's the one of the more fun point guards we've had. <laughs> my, my, my family started watching the games with me. Um, Porzingis's rookie year. So they saw a lot of bad, like low level point card play. And when the Knicks had Burke, it was it was obvious, it, it was talked about openly in the games. Everybody knew that the Knicks were not gonna bring Trey Burke back. They were gonna go like in other directions. And Trey Burke would be scoring like twenty or thirty points efficiently. And I'm trying to my fiance is like understandably just absolutely perplexed at the fact that this lousy team is is clearly cutting the cord with this guy who is like really looking like pretty good a lot of the time um that was always funny to me trey burke man shout out to trey burke and tim hardaway jr man tim hardaway jr i wrote a piece the day he signed um when he came back to the knicks I was so happy about. It. I thought it was so good, and I wrote a, a, a thing right away for posting and toasting about it. That article got more like reads and comments than I think anything like I've ever done. Like the people were in a riot about Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, well, we were talking earlier about times in Nick history that you might not have felt as good as you do now. That would be one of those times, like. When Tim Hardaway Jr. signing for seventy-one million was like the story of stories, like. And in retrospect, it wasn't. I mean, it was an overpay. It was never. It was never the 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 reaction was never proportionate to the deal. Yeah, it's um, it's just. I mean, it he and he was asked. He's always been better. Like he got drafted, and he was asked to be a scorer yeah. on a team that just lacked any. Yeah. And he was a horrible defender. He went to. Atlanta developed well for two years. We paid for him. And then he once again got asked to do that. Yep. And, um, you know, uh, when he went back to Dallas and in an ancillary role, he's pretty effective. And and I think also when he doesn't have to worry about creation, his defense is better. So, yeah, it's always been bad circumstances for him. He's, he's always been a player that like, you know, he's good. You see him to really, you know, be a valuable contributor to solid teams. Every time he's been on the Knicks, circumstances miscast him as something. Um, yeah. I, I, I always enjoy watching him play for Dallas. He's cool. All right. Um, and then we got... I oh, I don't think the other one... Unless, no, Golden State and, and Minnesota and Memphis, I do not think have any Knicks. Um, Golden State does not. Memphis, I don't think does either. I'm going to double check Minnesota, but I don't think, I think I looked and none of them have Knicks. In which case, I'll just ask you straight up, 
Who are you rooting for in that series? Would you rather see Memphis advance to play Golden State, or would you rather see Minnesota? I would love to see Minnesota play Golden State. Why? Uh, they had, you know, they've they've made moves together recently. There was the whole um, Wiggins Russell trade. I like to see, you know, teams that I think it's worked out for both teams, um, particularly with Golden State getting the extra draft picks from it too. Um, I really like to see town. I like to see Golden State play against a team that has a, a good center, um, a legit seven footer, because I think it's the one position. Um, the Bulls used to be like that in the nineties. It was it was always interesting to see the Bulls playing um, the Knicks or the Magic um, because it wasn't it was the position they were completely overmatched at. But watching the way that they attacked it, like other than the fact that it screwed the Knicks was beautiful. It was like interesting to watch. And so whenever Golden State has to go against, you know, Embiid or Jokic in the last round or a player like Towns, I, I find it just really fun to watch. Um, and for some reason, yeah, I, mean, I don't like Memphis. For some reason, Memphis just, there's nothing wrong with them at all. And I like to watch them play. I, I'm more excited to watch Minnesota than I am to watch Memphis. Um, I think in part because I think Anthony Edwards is going to be really good. And he's just super likable. He's <laughs> like, so likable. He said that, like, I think I've mentioned this a bunch, but he said the thing about we wanted RG to take the shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which for most, for Knicks fans, if you say something like that, you're publicly enemy number one forever. And then like two weeks later, most Knicks fans forgot about it or were just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> because he's that. Nick and he said that, they would eat it up. Yeah, well, it's, but it, I mean, if it was, if Ja said something like that, like De'Aaron Fox, to give a better example, De'Aaron Fox said, um, you know, he was like, I know that, like, all he said was when the Knicks didn't win the lottery, or when they got the eighth pick, he was like, I know they're mad right now with, like, a laughing thing. Right. Which is not the most egregious, of, like, that's not even saying, you know, <laughs> suck at Knicks fans, right? It was just like, I, it's a, it was actually a pretty accurate option. And Nick's fit, they, they made him delete it. Like, they never let him live that down. Yeah, no. Um, what Ann said was worse. Like, that was kind of a shot at RJ, and no one cared because he's that likable. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I would probably agree with you. Uh, for what it's worth, I don't think there will be a whole lot of suspense. I think I just saw Draymond Green really make life hell for Nikola Jokic. Yeah. And Cat will have a little more support, but uh, I don't, I think Golden State is going to have enough of an answer for that. Uh, Minnesota is just too mercurial. That's the they at times they look like the best team in the league. Yeah, they have the talent to one day be that, but they've blown multiple leads. This has been the story for them going back to last season. Um, their second best player is probably Anthony Edwards, and he's in his second year, uh, and he's still he is a very good player who still is figuring out how to play the game. Yeah, uh, I think he was late to basketball too. Like he's just he's a guy that doesn't he's still putting the pieces together, which is what makes him so scary because yeah. even then he's so effective, but, and I wouldn't, I'm not insulting or saying that he's not a high field player or anything. It's just, there's things with timing and things that he's still work figuring out uh, and understanding when to attack, when to pick his spots that most young players go through. Uh, and he's just, he's because he's so good, he's being asked to, he has a steeper learning curve. Um, whereas like, if you compare Ant to Ja, Ja's a little bit of a cornball. He's, I mean, his dunk last, you know, two nights ago or whatever is probably it's one of the top three dunks I've ever seen in a game or it's up there. Hmm. Um, 
just because it changed the game. Uh, he literally like pretty much jumped over the guy, avoiding the charge from where he jumped, the kind of the force of it. He's a very easy player to like, but he's kind of a cornball. Like Anthony Edwards is much more likable. Uh, and then with like with Memphis, especially with Grizzlies Twitter, they do have this whole like we're a small market and that makes us like the chosen people or some, you know, all of that. Like and like every big market is e- like every time they're not on national TV and the Knicks are, they whine and cry about it. Um, I'm not like I'm not all about that narrative as them being like the shining star. Whereas like Minnesota, I, I enjoy it. I, some of my favorite bloggers, uh, I think there's like Lane Vashro who had some really good analytics pieces. Canis Hoopis in general is like a really good yeah. blog on SB Nation. Um, and Cats from New York. So I've always liked Kyle Newtowns. And I, I feel like, you know, given what he lost with COVID, I've always felt like he's gotten a lot of unfair criticism. Um, I think he has shortcomings as a player, but I've, I've always, you know, I, it would be a nice redemption story. So I love Towns. I love watching him play. I love his game, and I love – he's so expressionistic. Um, he's, like, watching him play and watching, like, his emotions and his gestures. Like, he's like watching opera. Like, I enjoy watching players who enhance the experience, and that guy absolutely does. Um, I love that. Shout out Carl Anthony Towns just for being a cool guy. Well, that's all I have for today. Anything uh, left on your end, Stacey? No, it's fun, fun pod. All right. That is it for now. Um, the next big day in the Nick universe is, I want to say May 11th, but I'm not sure. Um, the lottery is in a couple of weeks, so we will certainly talk about some of that um, in the lead-up. So for now, Stacy Patton, Matthew Miranda, thank you for being with us. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.